Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Talk Junkies, where today is going to be a very interesting day. we got a very special guest joining our show. Um, he's an author of several books, some very interesting books. I haven't got a chance to dive into his first two books, but I know one that just recently came out, I think about a year ago, is uh, it's like a freight train right now. Um, doing doing wonders and that's sorry <laughs> what kind of what kind I don't of know. but either either way man that's what we're going to get into today um he's a very interesting guy howdy how you doing man thank you for joining talk junkies and uh what's going on man how's uh, norway norway is uh relatively cold as usual and the snow will be coming soon very nice um so today we're going to be talking about some things that i don't i feel like it's, it has some steam to it Quite a few people know about it, but not probably on the mainstream level to where everyone knows about it. But before we get into that, man, just tell us a little bit about yourself um, and how you got to where you are now. Okay. Uh, yeah, I um, uh, started my life kind of as a, as a hockey player, as a hockey coach, and that was kind of the focus of my days. Um, had a really difficult, uh, tough life. I had a psychopath for a father and uh, he wound up uh, stealing all my money, um, so I had trouble finishing university. So that 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 already began to turn me away from mainstream thinking. Um, a few years after that, I had a girlfriend get murdered, uh, an ex-girlfriend actually get murdered, and that uh, again, these things start to take you from being a really normal, well-adjusted person to already starting to think in different ways. And, and as I sort of spiraled, you might say deeper and deeper from, from these experiences, I wound up seeing a program on, on ancient Egypt, this old pyramid, and I kind of realized that that was the, to be the focus of my life, was to study ancient wisdom and to, and to uncover what quite obviously appeared to be a ton of lies in the mainstream story. And as I began to go through that, I, I, I needed to try to understand the ancient Egyptian mind through their, their, through their thinking, not through my thinking, and that's, that began my process of meeting uh, a Zen monk, several Native Indian medicine men, um, uh, uh, Dr. Qigong from China, and, and learning a lot of these ancient practices and then taking it back to my trips to Egypt or to Mexico and, and try to see, does that still apply? That can, can something be explained from that? Um, from, from there, through all the practice and all the work of trying to understand self and reality as best I could, I, I fell into a canyon in 2005, had a death experience that changed my thinking again, that changed everything about how I saw the world. Uh, finished the book, that's the second book that uh, Paul was talking about, uh, all about that experience and, and um, what came from it. And then, yeah, a couple of years ago, I was in Florence looking at some cathedrals and sort of seeing them as, as machines and when I got back from doing that, uh, when I got back home and I was just look, looking into more research, I bumped into these world expositions, particularly the World Exposition in Chicago in 1893. And as I just did a cursory look into it, it became so insane and so absolutely bizarre that there, it, uh, studying these things consumed my life for about eight or nine months. That's literally all I did was digging into everything I could find on these world expositions because every single time I looked into a new one it got weirder and weirder and weirder and yeah the book came out a year ago and it surprised me because it's been unbelievably popular and so many people have been it's like it's 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 hit a nerve somehow of people it's like it's uh, it, the, 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 the lie somehow is so great that everybody can see it once it's presented to them 
really interesting. What's like the, the sore thumb for you? And whenever you're talking about the World Exposition, you're talking about the World's Fair, right? Yeah, same thing. Okay. Same name. Okay. That's, that's just how I've always, uh, whenever I was learning about it, probably in, man, I don't even know, like first or second grade, you learned about the World Fair? Like really Dude, early I never, on. I never learned about the World's Fair. I did. Ever. I, it was, uh, I can't remember what history class it was, but there was definitely, I mean, it might have just been a day where, where they had talked about it. But I definitely remember learning like, about it in school. I consider myself a relatively intelligent or educated individual, and I little like right now I know nothing like about that's the where the hot dog I don't even came. know the purpose of it. Like that's like, where the hot dog yeah. came from, right? If I remember that right, and a whole lot of things, yes. Yeah, so like it'd be like people presenting new ideas and stuff. Like, do they even do the World's Fair anymore? Is that even still a thing? Yeah. They yeah, still do. Still, it still occurs every three or four years. Yeah, their last one was in uh, Dubai, I think. Interesting. So what, what was, like, the big sore thumb for you that, that like, stuck out where you go, man, something's not right here? Uh, Is it any one well, particular thing? thing? Me, the thing that got me the most, yeah, the thing that got me the most was when I looked at this, because the person I bumped into, I, did, I was, like, uh, like what was I, at the end there, I didn't know anything about them other than I knew Canada had had a couple when I was sort of in my growing up. There was one in Montreal in 67 and Vancouver had one in 2010. I never went, but I knew they, that they had, right? But when I bumped into the Chicago World Exposition and, uh, and, and when I first saw the pictures of it, I mean, it, it looked, first of all, like ancient Rome. Like it, it, it looked, I'd been, I'd been in Rome like a few years previous. And, and I mean, the buildings, the, the, the domes, the towers, the, the lakes, the canals, the, the massive construction of the, of the building. One building there, the manufacturer's building, um, was, uh, could house 300,000 people. It was the largest building on earth. And so you've got this giant exposition, 700 acres of it worth. And then when I found out, and as soon as, and, and supposedly all built from scratch in two years, and then as soon as it was done, it was destroyed. Really? It's just per purposely, just, well, okay, in Chicago's case, for the people watching this, there, there was some fires that happened first. But when you start looking through, like whether it be Buffalo or St. Louis or all these other places that had these fairs, they literally took dynamite and blew them up when the fair was over. And so that was the sore thumb for me was, why would you build a thousand acres of the most spectacular buildings you can imagine and then immediately when the fair's done, blow it up? That's, that's really interesting. The one thing that I'm thinking of now is almost how uh, the, the world handles the Olympics. And if a country is hosting the Olympics, they have you know four years to get ready for it and they'll build a new stadium or, you know, they, they build uh, training facilities, but they don't go tearing them down after, after they put, you know, millions and millions of dollars into it. That's, that's really interesting that they tear them down. It's weird. Yeah, and, and literally with dynamite in many cases. That's, that's the thing is they actually, like the St. Louis Exposition in 1904, yeah, they brought in a crew from Chicago and blew it up in two weeks and uh, chucked it into landfills. And what, what, and the second, and so, and as I began studying this, you begin to realize that all of these cities had giant fires in their recent history, like take Chicago, right? They had their giant fire supposedly in 1871. I, I mean, I, I don't necessarily believe in these fires either as historical events, but okay. So you supposedly had this fire, burned down a lot of your city. So let's build this, let's build a lot of buildings, which probably the city needs after a fire. Why would you just tear them down? So again, all of these things, as I as I first began the initial, the initial um, indication of it, told me something was wrong. That was the first one. That was the first uh, indicator. Do you want the second indicator that caused the caused me to start? Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. So the second indicator was, so after I'd looked into these things for maybe about a month, I went to go talk to some uh, building contractors that I know. So, and guys that build some really big projects here, here in Norway. And I didn't tell them what I was, what I was showing them at first. I just showed them pictures of the fair without telling them what it was. The Chicago Exposition. And first, first he, he wanted to know what European city this was. You know, was this Budapest? Is this Prague? I'm like, no, it's Chicago in 1893. And then I began showing him the layout of the buildings and the sizes and the midway and, and everything else. And I said, okay, if if I gave you this project today, could you build this for me today? And he, he said, do I have unlimited budget? Yes, you have unlimited budget. You have whatever you want. He said, okay, I probably need 50,000 guys, and it's going to take me two years to plan it because we've got this is on a swamp apparently where it was at Jackson Park in Chicago so we have to we have to deal with the swamp we have to build all the we have to plan all the canals and the rivers and the waterways and the, and the roads and whatever so two years of planning two years to do all the landscaping to get the lakes and the canals and the, and the you know that stuff done and then he said give me 10 to 12 years to do the buildings and uh, and we'll have that up in about 15 years so then that's when I revealed him okay the story in Chicago is they started the first planning session in January 1891 and it was finished, ready to go in May of 1893, so just over two years. His response was, well, that's impossible. Especially with the technology that they had. Yeah, I mean, he's saying 15 years with 50,000 guys and modern digging with digging equipment. And one of the strangest things you'll find when you look at not just the pictures of the fairs, like it's also when you look at any main state capitol building in the U.S., like every state has a capitol building that is beyond magnificent again it's like it should be in the vatican right it, it, it's unbelievable mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. when you see the initial first photographs of any of those state capitol buildings or any of these fairs of the supposed construction the one thing one of the many things that's missing is roads so they're supposedly building these massive structures without taking two weeks to put down some roads in because think of 700 acres how much material and logistics and stuff you've got to ship in there and bring it and you, and you don't build a road to do it it's, it's so all of these things really began to get me saying something really strange is going on here and and that's why i had to just dive into it and, and, and so <clears throat> tell johnny and jesse a little bit just about the construction of of the material that they said that they used for these buildings okay so the 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 standard story of the supposed speed of these now for for anyone listening who wants to go look into what's going on here the first what you might call modern world exposition or world fair what happened in 1851 in uh, in uh, london built in something called the crystal palace and supposedly these crystal palace uh, world's fairs happened for about 10 or 12 years or so all of them burned down every single of these supposed giant glass big giant massive greenhouse is the best way to describe them uh, they and they all magically burn down everywhere in the world they start holding they start holding different ones starting in paris with with supposedly built materials in the late 1860s and into into philadelphia and what they claim it was built out of was uh something called staff which is a combination of like plaster and and wooden framing and um which has two problems when you study the photographic evidence. The first is, of course, take the electrical tower at the Buffalo Exposition of 18 of 1901. It's 395 feet high, and you know has a base of it's going to be half a football field long. And 
there were elevators and things that would take you to the top of the electrical tower where you could see from the top over the entire exposition. Well, how are you going to build that out of plaster and wood and have, you know, rich elites, Victorian elites coming to your exposition and then, you know, dying in a tragic collapse because they can't, can't hold the weight. Mm-hmm. So you've got that, that side of the issue of, of, of the problem with it. And the other, the other problem becomes when you start to look at the construction photographs, there are almost no, no proper construction photographs. There are photographs of what is basically a completed building and scaffolding on the side of it. Or there are, there are again, pictures of buildings with empty work sites. And this was another thing the building constructors were contra- uh, building uh, contractors were really concerned about is when they looked particularly at the at the photographs of the construction of the 1904 fair in St. Louis. Was he looked at it and said, "Well, where's all the bathrooms for these guys? You need twenty, thirty thousand guys. Where's all their bathrooms? Uh, where's the pile of materials that you need to build uh, build these things up? Where is the uh, empty coffee cups and the and the wrappers on the ground of the? He said, he said, there's nothing. It's literally just mud around these constructed buildings. And he's like, no one's been here for six months. You know. So again, it was so different because my eyes are like your eyes. We would see a photograph one way based on what we know, and and I was so thankful that I got the eyes of these building contractors who, you know, they know right away what they're looking at. And that saved me a lot of time. Yeah, so those were the first things that got me knowing something's not right. So is, was, it, is it mainly just revolved around the construction of the World's Fair, or is it actually like what took place during the World's Fair that was also a little off to you? Or was it, is it mainly just the construction that this, that this seemed to No, it's, it started as the you. construction. That, yeah, that was okay. the first thing that got my attention as to what the, what the hell happened here. But the, the, as it got further and I began to study, yeah, because there's, there's books that were made on each of the World's Fairs like the year after they were done. Like, I kid you not, nine or 10,000 page books, all, like eight or 10 volumes on every single building, every single thing in them, every single exhibit. So you could go through and the stuff is bizarre. They, they were, and, and without going yet into what the bizarre was, my, my, theories that came out of it was that and why it's important now because obviously life right now is moving into more insane territory day by day and we really can't be spending time looking at things if it doesn't if it doesn't help us today basically that's my viewpoint and even before this happened uh the idea of a of these resets that somehow civilization somehow gets reset gets sort of semi cleaned out and started over again i began seeing the fairs and what was going on at the fairs what was being presented at the fairs what was what was the message that the fairs were trying to send might have been the bridge point between whatever the world was before that the reset itself and like these fairs were the official start of the world we've been living in our whole lives that our lives that we've known them had its origin with these that the fairs were the historical, the scientific, the technological, the religious, the everything that became our sort of underlying foundation doctrine uh, that we've known our lives to be might have all come from these fairs. Do you think it was ritualistic? Is is that kind of what you're getting at? Um, like set up by people almost as like a ritual? Sorry, I was just a little confused by that. Um, in a sense, yes, it would be. Um, but it was more like almost like... Um, it would be more like uh, like an indoctrination center that anyone coming to it 
I mean, and again, it's it's just weird when you look at some of the photographs and you look at the people who are at these things. They look they look out of place. It's hard to describe. Like, okay, yeah, I mean, you're walking around buildings that are, you know, spectacular. Okay, but more than that, it just they just don't seem to fit in. And and I'm wondering if this was like almost like I know this will sound weird, but almost like you just manufactured a new population and this is where they learned all of what all of what life was supposed to be because this is the exact same time two other strange phenomenons are going on in the world not just in the united states but in europe everywhere else one is in in u.s specifically was those orphan trains right so this was the period where there were these tens or fifty thousand orphans with where were their parents we don't know and they're just shipped out on trains to the to the west well, that's perfect if you're starting if you want to start a semi-new civilization start with children because they'll believe whatever you teach them and they'll have no personal history and at the same time at this exact same moment are the building of these giant and insane asylums all over the world and i don't know if you've had a chance to ever look at some of these things but if you haven't go look at like insane asylums 1880s 1890s they are they're bigger than like the medici palace in florence and they are literally more beautifully built why do you need these massive insane asylums who is going into these things and and why why do you need them in the 1880s 1890s what's going on and again i think it's all a part of this if you weren't going to go along with the new system i think that's where you might have wound up so my thing with this and i might be jumping ahead a little bit here but so i mean 1893 for, for the chicago one and then 1904 for st louis this isn't like ancient like there would be people who worked on these things and who went to these fairs and stuff that you could interview in like the 50s 60s 70s who would have been like teenagers at the time roughly between the two or kids went in 1893 whatever uh i'm like so how is have any of these people been i mean obviously it's too late now but this isn't ancient history so have any of these people been talked to like are there documented stuff of people who have been here and people who have built these buildings and worked on this and stuff from these are interesting questions and and i had them myself and i i same thing like the last one the last of sort of the fairs before the first world war and then the fairs changed the fairs went from these roman style unbelievably spectacular technological fairs till after world war one where they became sort of all about uh the future and space and and you know it became a very different type it, it was completely different and mm -hmm. it was obvious it was different but even from uh, 1915 in san francisco which is only to us now like 100 years ago there's been almost no one who's had any comments about the fair itself or anything else it, it's like literally other than the books that were presented just after the fair that were written by generally one historian there's nothing else and that's strange in itself. That, that's the part that throws me off because I'm like, man, these people like like once again, it's not ancient history. This stuff didn't happen that long ago. You're talking, you know, 100 and in the case of the what the Chicago one, that'd be like 130 years, 127 years or whatever. Like that's. <sighs> yeah. And, and, and again, for there were so many of them, like it's not just I mean, there was one in, in like you're taking the U.S. There's one in Nashville. There's one in Omaha. There's one in Seattle. There's one in Portland. One in San Francisco, there's one in San Diego, there's one in Chicago, there's one in Philadelphia, there's one in New York, there's one in, you know, they're, they're in all these places, constantly with the same story, with the same type of buildings, with the same strange racist um, 
uh, overtones of trying to downplay the 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 old civilization and the savage and upplay the new Victorian order. And and I I almost wonder if World War One had something to do with this. That because the bridge point between when these sort of sets of affairs ended and what you might call the 1920s and more of our age, we had the, the, the Spanish flu pandemic, whatever that was, which we don't know, and World War One, which actually we don't really know what the hell that was either. The more you dig into that, the stranger that thing gets. And you again start to wonder what happened. And, and when we talk about workers, yeah, if they had to build this from... See, I, I came to a conclusion fairly early on with this that this, this, this. There's only two answers to this. The, the, the standard answer: this was built with the technology of the day in two years. Is, is is that's just not possible. And and so okay. So if we take that off the table, you're, you're two main. There's of course there's ten answers, right? If you want to go through aliens and magic and parallel reality, whatever, right? But if you take it to two more logical answers. You're dealing with either one, they had a technology that they're not supposed to have and that somehow didn't stay in our in our hands very long to actually do it in the time, or many of the buildings were uh, already there. They were somehow ancient buildings that didn't need to be built. They just needed to be fixed up and painted. And but either one of those takes you on a pretty wild journey if either of those are potentially correct. I was going to say the, the first one, as interesting as it is, the, uh, the we had a technology that was more advanced and we've lost it now kind of thing, even that one kind of falls off a little by the fact that there aren't people around who have, like, you, that you can interview, that have experienced these things, you know, that you could talk to in the 60s when they were still alive and be like, hey, blah, blah, blah. So that one kind of falls off a little for me. The second one, though, talking about them already, that they were already there, would we have evidence of them already being there then? Because the camera's not that, I mean. Well, there, there are, if you do look at the images of some of them closely, because one, one of the things that they, they've, they did was they did something called whitewashing. They, they, these fairs were the ones who developed actually spray painting, the ability to paint buildings with a, with a machine that would fire paint on the buildings. And every building at the fair is all built, is all painted the same way. And, but still, not every part of the building got perfectly painted well. And you can see at some of the fairs uh, severe weathering on the buildings, like weathering that shouldn't be there for a six or eight month period. It looks like you're talking 60, 80 or much longer years. Buffalo is, is the best example of this. Buffalo has like on its Colosseum, which of course looks exactly like the Circus Maximus in Rome, there's, there's like mold growing on it and, and like really deep into deep cracks and and uh, and you're seeing these kind of images that kind of indicate that can't be the way it is or or trees that have grown into into buildings or buildings that have been built kind of uh you know in strange uh, kind of, kind of, um, uh, proximity to other landscape and as you look through the photos it, it, yeah I, i'm with you i tended to go with some of this might be there. And then as you go back and read early historical accounts that kind of have been buried a little bit, there's always been this talk of these lost cities of the Americas, right? And most people always felt that, well, if it was a Spanish chronicler, they had to be talking about some old Inca city or some Mayan city. 
no one could be potentially thinking, but there could be these same cities in in California and in New Mexico and in Chicago. Because when you look at there's an old map from 18 oh sorry 1587. I can't remember the, the name of the of the map maker. I can look it up after I finish this. But the 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 map that he made is a map of the world, and the and and the the, the North America is very well done in the map. First of all, to start with. But secondly, what's weird about it is that there are uh, uh, like images on the map everywhere. There's a there's a major city. So the cities of, of Europe are labeled uh, by the names we would know them by today, and they have that that picture of the. Uh, and then in North America are similar images. And for example, there's one that has the name uh, Chicago. It's a it's an urban oh, sorry it's an urbano urbano Monte map for anyone wanting to look it up in 1587. You can go it's available on the internet and the, yeah the word chicago is sitting right where we know chicago is today and there's several other of these semi names that look quite similar to what we would know and so there are these sources that aren't telling us directly but are maybe giving us a clue that this 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 very well could be true but again the issue is i can't come out here and tell you that's for sure the truth because I would be lying mm -hmm. because I don't have, I didn't, I wasn't there. I don't have video footage of them building it or not building it or painting it or not painting it or, and so I always have to make sure that whatever I present is um, more trying to tear down the standard narrative that is trying to lay the history down to us. As soon as I try to say, and this is the answer, then I'm lying because well, I, I mean, I can never, I can never say that. I, I want to praise you on that right there real quick, because we've, we've had lots of different guests on and talked about lots of different things. And I think that one of the biggest problem that um, people run into in general is saying, Oh, I know what's actually correct. Instead of focusing on, Hey, these are, these are some facts. These are some logical outcomes we can come to this and this, and you got to like, you know, have an open mind and think about it some people go all the way to the next step and say, nope, this is what's going on. This is why this is a conspiracy. Here's the answer. And the answer's so out there that like people can't accept that as to where you're approaching it more logical and more like, just, just look into it, you know? And there's still more research that needs to be done probably is also Always. what you're getting at Always. too. And, and like I say, it, I, I mean, I've been studying ancient Egypt for 20 years and even though I've got some pretty good guesses some of the things of, of that story in that time frame, I know that I would never be 100 percent certain. I could never be because I, I, I can't I can't with my own eyes have proven it. Good. But all we can do is try to is try to uh, the, the, the the spiritual teacher, I guess I've graduated gravitated to the most over my life is a gentleman named uh, Richard Rose, who lived in in West Virginia, died uh, 10 or 15 years ago. And he was very clear of you don't go looking for truth. What you need to do is look for false, drop it, and look for more false, drop it, and eventually, when you come to whatever it is that's last that you can't drop, well, that's the truth. And uh, it's totally isn't, isn't that like Occam's Occam's razor or something like that? It, what what am I thinking of? I'm not thinking of Occam's razor. I'm thinking of the whole, no matter how absurd the answer is, if it's the only thing that remains, it's the correct one kind of thing. That's a saying. I just don't remember what it is. Yeah, it's sort of like that, and and, and it made complete sense because. If you just think you already know what the truth is or an answer is, then what's the point of doing the study? Instead, it's I don't know. Say I don't know the answer, and I'm going to get rid of whatever's the most obviously wrong first. Can you and give us the name of that map again? Sorry to interrupt you. 
Oh, we're just trying yeah. to f- we're uh, we're googling it and like pulling up images and stuff, and I just wanted oh, to make sure yeah, we're looking yeah. at the right one. Uh, it was the year was fifteen eighty. I just have to flip through my book to find it. Uh, that's what happens sometimes when you can't remember what's on all of your pages. Uh, fifteen eighty seven is the year of the map, and it's Urbano and Monte. Urbano and Monte. Yeah, and it'll have and you'll see all the cities with sort of Italian names on it. Um, did you find it? Possibly. It's hard to know if we're looking there, at the yeah, right one or not. Yeah, there's, there's so there's, many. You, so know, many you know how Google up. Images is. Yeah. On our TV is kind of small too, but I would say that's probably kind of what it would be like. Yeah, it might be something I look up at a separate time anyways. I was just, yeah, that's actually wanna... really interesting. So to bring it back a little bit to just like yeah. the construction of these buildings, like one thing that for me was telling – <clears throat> that you kind of describe is just the population in these cities, right? Like in Chicago, they're building this 750-acre fair with however many men it took. I don't know what the the narrative says, how many men were making it, 30,000, 40,000 people. But not only that, but they were also constructing downtown Chicago at the same time. But what, what was the population of Chicago in that moment? Uh, good question. I don't know the exact exact number. Um, I might have a listing of what is close to that time frame. Um, I would assume it's it's for sure less than a million. There, there's definitely not a million people in Chicago at this at this period of time. I, I can give you that in um, 1853. In 1853, the population is supposed to be uh, well. It was 2000 when it started, but uh, I can't give you an exact number. But yeah, it's. Um, it's not only are they building, like you say, so you've got a limited, you've got a limited workforce to start with. And, and again, when you look at the buildings, you see that it's not just, you can't just slap this up with a couple of guys you pick up off the street. I mean, these, these things require, require building knowledge. Um, and you add that they're not just building the seven, 700 acres of the Chicago Fair in that same year. They're also building the University of Chicago right beside it in giant gothic structure like if you if you uh, take on google maps and you see where the university of chicago is that's along the old midway of the of the chicago fair and go look at the buildings i mean the buildings look like look like you're in downtown you know downtown paris or something so they're building that at the same time plus they're building greco-roman buildings to be like a new library to be a new conference center to be a new new whatever so it's like the it's like the, once you dig into it it's like Oh yeah, 700 acres of building uh, these giant buildings and canals, and oh yeah, and building uh, above-ground electric railways. Above-ground electric railways was at the Chicago Exposition. They had an electric moving sidewalk at the Chicago Exposition, and so where did this stuff come from? <laughs> like, like where did they magically figure out how to do this, and then why did it disappear? So again, it's all of these like construction details. The more you dig into it, the more bizarre it is. And um, I, real, uh, I want to play Chicago. Is so strange. I want to play devils just for the point of conversation. Devil's advocate sure. for a split second here. And is there anything that shows that? Because the pictures, it's it's difficult because they're older pictures. Is there a chance that for the purpose of the fair and for the purpose of looks and everything like that, that the decent amount of that could be, or not a decent amount, some of it could be like facades or anything, or that some of those buildings really were built out of. Because you've talked to actual construction experts, yeah. is there a chance that some of these buildings, obviously not the tower and stuff like that, that could be built out of uh, 
staff like like plaster and and wood and stuff and then others are literally just a facade that has no purpose other than looking good from this angle uh okay uh my, this is my theory and my theory is you've probably got 10 or 15 original real buildings so real stone marble buildings because so there's always one that survives every fair it's always they always claim there was one we had to build uh, for real because it needed to have extra fire protection or whatever they always have some excuse right so i think there were maybe 10 or 15 of these buildings and then i do believe there was construction of like you say definitely plaster and wood um, other things around it to to populate the rest of the exposition and also i think to hide the original buildings because once you put up something that looks similar like you say with with a quality facade and similar painting it would be tough to tell the difference unless you were right up close and tapping it with your hand and not most people wouldn't do that but if you if you look at a building like um um like i don't know if you can find that like the cover photo of my book for example even that's a perfect one the one with the statue in the middle of the lake uh as an example so if you look at those buildings that oh yeah i think we i think we looked at that image right at the beginning actually so yeah so so there's no way any of that can be a facade like like or, or you know like like the the kind of of um reinforcement work you need to keep that dome up and the kind of work you need because the building you see on the right side there I think that was the electrical building. It goes like you would have been able to put 80,000 people in there, 100,000 people in there. That's how big it was. And so once you get to structures this large and this ornate, you have to build them with some form of uh, complete construction. Yeah, some kind of integrity but, like so said, it doesn't but collapse. But once you start and kill looking people. at some of the others, once you begin to go past the main part of the fair, because every state had a building, every country had a building, and then there's the midway. You can start to notice that what you might call mm, the quality begins to drop off and you don't see as much of the fine finish and it, and it becomes a bit more that you could that i could very easily say yes this is a building that i think uh 20 or 30 guys could put up with plaster and wood no question and there are some pictures that i do have from certain fairs of buildings that are plaster and wood there's there's certainly a few that exist but generally those are smaller structures and anything that would be classified as a huge giant building if there's a construction photo it's the building in the background a whole bunch of scaffolding on the side of it and nothing else going on no workers <laughs> no workers no work pile no, I was gonna say, what, going what really brought it up was finished. you said no wrappers no coffee cups and all that and i was like man if they're still if they're taking a picture with scaffolding out there it's not like they're going around and having someone clean all this up like there would definitely be some kind of human trace evidence i mean we yeah. know what construction sites look like like in just housing like there's going to be like yeah. it looks messy there's all kinds of stuff everywhere no i totally get that it's a really interesting point i, I yeah, it, it's it's so bizarre and then, like i'm just looking at a couple of photos in my book right now and again it's it, it's like literally the buildings are all there you'll have four or five people sort of standing there there's like and there's like there's some pieces of stone you might say on the ground like just sort of collapsed stone and a ladder leaning up against the building like there's not even scaffolding it's just a ladder up against the building and there that's it okay so my my question for you and with any uh whenever you start going down a road of conspiracy theory or anything like this um there there always has to be like some motive or like some like why is this happening do you have any theories on that like like if so i from what i can gather right now is that you're saying that these uh these buildings were already here pre-world fair and then they built around them and then destroyed them right it's kind of the theory that you're you're going down or the road you're going I would down lean lean to that one okay lean to that one okay 
Now, what do you have any idea on motives on why that they're basically trying to cover up these cities and, and destroy these buildings through this process of the World Fair? Because yes, they're always theory, you got to find a motive at some point. Yeah, my, the, the motive would be the same motive as to why we're still being told that um, the Egyptians could carve the granite stones uh, with copper tools and uh, ramps were used to build pyramids and whatnot. Is that you can't you can't produce the dumbed down controlled society that we've had for the last hundred or so years if humans realize that sometime in their ancient past humans had access to tremendous power because these buildings were built by humans then they were built to do extreme energy operations and that, that's a key point to what i think a lot of these buildings are with why why studying cathedrals is so important and why they're i think they're burning those down now is because these are nothing to do with religion they have to do with energy and they have to do with 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 uh, harmonious balance of, of power and if humans knew what was possible what what the human mind and the human i guess spirit you might call it could do well the, the humans on mass would say well what the hell are we doing with this crap why are we living this life and the the only way to keep this existence going to people thinking that you know their iphone is fantastic and uh and the you know the 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 kind of building that they live in that's the best we can do today or whatever um means people don't ask any more questions about changing their life so it's a suppression of information basically from uh from higher powers that don't want because it's almost like the the gateway to you know becoming great things you need the information for it and and the history behind it to realize potential so they're basically just suppressing that from the average people basically is that yeah i would say that like i give a I gave an example in the talk you were mentioning from a couple of days ago, and that was um, uh, I study stone circles as well here in here in Scandinavia where I live, and the stone circles have an unbelievable amount of energy and an unbelievable power to them that I'm just slowly starting to learn how to how to work with. And uh, there's a gentleman, an older gentleman in his 70s that I had taken to these stone circles uh, near me, and he has a very very bad back. And uh, but the moment he went in the stone circle, his back was healed. And now, even though it's five years later, every single time his back gets sore, all he does is go to the stone circle, stand in it for 15 or 20 minutes, and then his back is fine for another three or four weeks. Like, that's all he has to do to fix his back every time it gets hurt. And I think it's this kind of knowledge and this kind of, this kind of possibility that has been, over time, eroded out of our system. So these buildings, under that theory, would also would have been an indicator of people asking who really built these things if, if they were still there who built them why did they build them and why do i feel so healthy and clear and alive when i'm in them as a pair as composed when i'm not in them and those are questions i think they didn't want people asking i've i've heard this uh uh theory before and i've i've actually watched like documentaries on this before and i i actually find it really interesting um just from my memory i remember um Watching something on the Great Pyramid, I believe it was the Great Pyramid of Giza, I could be getting this wrong, it's been a long time, to where it's one of the only places that doesn't have any hieroglyphs um, inside of it, so they almost go, man, this is weird, why did I spend all this time building this, but there's no hieroglyphs inside of it, and then that was one of the theories that this actually was, like, for energy purposes, like, that's why there wasn't, that it actually wasn't a tomb, that it was, um, like, for A day energy. spa. 
Yeah. <laughs> Something. No, but I, no. So I've I've heard these theories before, and I find them fascinating. Just yeah, uh, I, that was I like the only one that like that popped up into the top of my head whenever you know. Yeah, I, I can tell you that the oldest, the, the the largest pyramids, for example, in Egypt, and there are I think eight of them, nine of them. The 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 ones that are so unique and so large and so perfectly built. Every single time I've been in one of them has been a very unique experience. And uh, and I knew right away when I first did my research, I was so lucky when I first started my Egyptian research, even though I have my degree, I actually am a historian, um, have a university degree in history, but I hadn't really studied the ancient world much. And I was lucky that right at the beginning of my study, I ran into people like John Anthony West and, and sort of the, the, the alternative archaeologists who were trying to uh, test the system and that opened my mind really really quickly to see that yeah they, these definitely are not tombs and they are something completely else but you you don't really you can't really know that at all until you've been to them and until you spent time at them and until you've actually you know sat in the in the main chambers and just been there for an hour or two and, and, and soaked in the experience of it and that's the one problem I have with so many researchers, particularly things like ancient Egypt. There's a lot of really interesting researchers who are doing some good work um, on their YouTube channels and whatever, but they've never been there. You know, they've never actually been to the places they're talking about. And so you're missing the you're 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 missing the feel of the place. You're missing what does it feel like? Because that's what happened to me when I went to Stonehenge. Like when I went to Stonehenge and just felt that it was just dead, that the site just it was literally, it was the same as like being in my living room, you know, there was like nothing. And then I went up the road to Avebury and, and the place my legs were on fire because the, 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 the energy was so hot. It was like literally I couldn't stand in place for long. And uh, I kept that in my mind. And then two years later, that's when I bumped into the reconstruction photos of Stonehenge from the 1950s. They literally pulled all the stones out of the ground, put them on trucks, drove them away, <laughs> uh, dug up the ground, did whatever they did, brought... Th well, I, we can't say they brought the same stones back. Well, they brought stones, we'll just say. They could be the original stones. They could be copies. I don't know. And then they cemented them in the ground. They don't tell anyone. I that. never knew they that. They don't tell yeah. anyone that that's happened. But my, my, my feel helped me understand and know, oh, that's why I didn't feel it, because the site isn't, isn't a real site anymore. So it's, it's yeah. So it's, it's a real important part of it to, to know what a pyramid really is. You have to have been in there for many times to let it almost work on you has there been any kind of like scientific measuring system that's ever been like 100 percent proven that there is actually some measurable amount of energy or something like, ele like electromagnetic or yeah, something so, yeah or? something because i've seen where people go out and they have like like not like tongs i'm trying to think they have stuff and like these wires that they're holding in their hand move i always said that that looked a little gimmicky to me, like whenever, like watching the documentary, even though I thought the documentary was amazing, I was like, man, this looks a little gimmicky here. I'm like, you could just be turning this with your hand. You know what I mean? I just didn't know if you knew of any like actual measurable stuff that was able to be like scientifically proven uh, on any well, kind of there, energy there, levels. There anywhere. is, of course, from things like uh, spinning magnets and, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, things that just don't work Yeah, on, on electromagnetic spectrums or or you know there's a lot of that kind of stuff that goes on at these sites but it's um it, it's so hard to explain because what's what seems to really be going on there is not measurable it's only measurable in your in your body and in yourself 
and that leads of course to some problems because you know you've got the you've got the new agey kind of people who will almost manufacture an experience right they just they they want it so bad that they make they make an experience happen for themselves mm-hmm. as opposed to someone who's who's acting almost like an alchemist and is just going to report what i had what i didn't have because i i've had i've gone places had no experience you know um that that's the problem and and just the things i've seen in the pyramids and and in egypt you couldn't measure it with a scientific device like it's it's so otherworldly that's 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 the best word i could describe it for you the reason i love going to the ancient sites and i'm sure i would even love having gone to the the um, world fair sites all of them is I feel like I'm going to a place that's so old, so ancient, it was before what we would call ego people having egoic minds. That that whole idea of our modern mind didn't exist with the people who built or lived or, 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 or used these structures. And so when I'm at these places, I feel like I'm in, a, I'm in another universe. Or like, you know, I'm touching it. It's like, or it's a better way to say it that ancient time isn't completely gone you can touch it briefly but how, how could you measure it beyond what i what i experience right i, I was going to say with that whole being able to cuz you're talking about you you can measure you know emfs you can measure radiation and all that stuff you can't measure a human experience and the problem that i've always had with that is you talk about like the new agey people and stuff there's so much out there that is snake oil you know, that it makes it really hard to take someone's word for something, especially a stranger that you, you know, that you don't actually know your whole life, how reliable their information is. It's so difficult for someone to be like, even you mentioned that the gentleman earlier who would go and his back would feel better They're They're, you know, you playing devil's advocate, devil's advocate again, you have to have both sides. And it could be a self-fulfilling prophecy. It could be like psychological in his head, you know, like a um, placebo placebo effect kind of thing. And it's so there's so many people that have these kind of experiences that for me, it, it's I almost treat all of them now with a grain of salt, which is unfortunate because if this is real, you're not getting or it is hard to get the real measurement of the human experience from someone because I take everybody who talks about it with a grain of salt now. Well, there's there's pluses and minuses to that, right? As we're talking here, there's there's the uh, you won't get led on a on a really wrong path that way for sure, because you know, you, and that's important. I, I think both of these sides are important. It's to on one side, yeah, have a questioning attitude to it, and okay, just because someone says something or presents something or I present something, like, oh, that's just an, an opinion. That's just my own experience, and, and you have to take that with some salt. The other the other side of it is having to say. But until I've gone to check it out myself, I don't know for sure. So it's also maybe possible. And, and I think if someone can hold both of those sides together, then you're holding possibility where, where there's still, like you say, something could reveal itself, but you'll also be ready to dig into, um, dig into uh, finding if, if, they, if something is false and you shouldn't, and you shouldn't believe it. Well, which, so I think I think if you can hold if both if you have it in both of those hands, I think that's a really powerful uh, way of going about it personally. Which I, I mean I agree with a hundred percent because there's still the 
I mean, I'm going to use Colorado again, or not Colorado, Utah again as an example. We went on a trip to Utah and stuff. And it really, I was one of those very skeptical people who I'm like, man, they say a picture's worth a thousand words or whatever. I'm like, yo, I've seen pictures of this. I get it. They're like talking about the sky being all starry and you can see the Milky Way and whatever and being up here on these rocks way above everything and you can see for miles and all this out in Utah. And I'm like, I get it. I've seen pictures. Like, I understand it. I'm sure it's cool to go there. But I've seen pictures. I get what it's all about. And until I'm actually there experiencing it myself, there is that feeling of, I don't know, it's just different, you know? So that made me a believer in the sense of, man, a picture is not, it, it doesn't do it justice. And you do have to go somewhere and experience something yourself to get the real feeling of it. Yeah, definitely. And I, th I think, like, when you bring it back all to, to the very foundation of what we're talking about, and, and I, this is just, again, my opinion, but I think it all could come back to the world's fairs. And when you have these psychopaths that are running the country or running this world, and they have been forever, if you can actually get back to the origins of it, which I think it's a possibility that, you know, Howdy and people, you know, people in your community that are exposing this type of uh, research, I think that this could be the beginning stages. And like you described earlier, um, what's the purpose behind it? What's the motive? And again, Johnny, I understand what you're saying. You know, you're very skeptic of when people say these types of things. But I think it's very plausible that humans can do more and we're able to do more in these world spheres. How do you, and we didn't get to go into that. And I, I think if you do kind of just describe to Jesse and Johnny what these world spheres were about, because I think that that. Yeah, sure. Some I mean, one of the one of the main things that existed beyond the buildings and the and the showing of technology and the what's called the midway, which is sort of fun and games and beer drinking and restaurants <clears throat> is was one of the most important parts was the human zoo which they would bring the savages from all over the world be they native indians be they aboriginals be they from south africa whatever and they would they would present them as yeah they would present them as savages to the point that like for example at the buffalo world's fair they uh they brought in an audience of 5000 people into the coliseum to watch the indians kill and eat 7000 dogs they collected 7,000 dogs off the streets of Buffalo, brought them in the Coliseum, had the, made the Indians. Of course, the Indians didn't really want to do it, but they made them, kill them all, and then eat them in the Coliseum. What year was the Buffalo World's Fair? 1901. Jesus. You know, uh, another one just to get a sense of just how crazy these fairs are. And this is, again, this is also Buffalo, but these were at every single fair. I'm going to read it exactly because it's uh, – I want to make sure I get the language correct, and it's it's not a pretty – sign it was a it was an event or one of the exhibits because they also had exhibits or not exhibits you would call them like um equivalent of like areas of disneyland where you could do also where you would experience whether it be the siberian transcontinental railroad or ancient rome or you'd go to paris they literally built like sections of like paris or jerusalem or whatever but this was one called the old plantation and this is the Buffalo Evening News describing why you should go to the old plantation at the, at, the, at the fair. Genuine southern darkies, 200 of them, ranging in years from wee toddling pickaninnies to Negroes gray and bent with age, can be seen each day at the exposition at their different occupations and pastimes. Lovers of Negro melodies will have a feast. Many of the darkies will be selected because of their special talents as singers and banjo players, and they will dance and sing to the seductive tinkling of instruments exactly as the Negroes of the South used to do in the long, long ago. Very inappropriate for this day and age. <laughs> Again, like, yeah. Even then? Yeah, no, I was wow. about to say because so much had already changed by them 
Um, yeah. No. Yeah, no. Say, so what year was this one again? I can almost see that these fairs are, yeah. like you say, I mean, uh, the, you know, the reconstruction period of, of the United States had already begun to change the racial attitudes and the, and the, and the uh, interaction of, you know, colored and, and white in the South. And I think these fairs reamped up the, the teachings of, of this, uh, this class system. There was another one. I think this was in um, Omaha it started, but the Smithsonian Institute brought in skulls supposedly from various uh, cultures all over the world. And, of course, the biggest skull would be a um, white person from England. And then what they would do is you were supposed to go in and they would measure your skull with these, like, uh, uh, clips, and then they would show you which which skull you were mostly aligned to to show you how how far on the evolutionary scale you were. Oh, That's like, ridiculous. like, what's going on? Strictly... Superiority kind of kind of things. That's that's terrible. Completely, and I and I think, but I think maybe creating the concept of it, like, like, wouldn't it be interesting if that concept didn't even exist before the fair started presenting it? You're talking about throwing more fuel into the fire of driving people apart and causing tribalism and like, hey, check if you didn't know already. Guess what? You're different from these people, and you should act differently from these people, and vice versa. Hey, if you didn't know already, you're different from these people, and you should act differently just in case you didn't already notice something like make sure that you know you're all different and you should be with your side and i think more too because they wanted to present these cultures because they were still of course they live a very natural life and a very a life uh, caring for nature and being a part of it and again it's trying to trying to put in people's minds that a life a life connected to nature is somehow uh, low on the evolutionary scale, and you need to be a part of, you know, at that time the new car and the new this, and the, the technology, and, and do be do, a part of the, yeah, be a part of the new 20th century technology, which eventually became all that we have now. And the one thing that's been lost every single year is our connection with nature, and our our interaction and our knowledge of it. I mean, what's amazing? What's what blows my mind is like. How many people take a take a 20, 25 year old boy or girl doesn't matter young, young young person and say I've got a sore stomach. Well, can you go into the forest and get me something for it? Well, what do you mean? I can go to the pharmacy? No, no. I mean just right there behind your house. Could you get me something for my stomach? No. But if you asked anybody 200 years ago, they would say, Oh yeah, sure. They would know exactly what to get you. And it's this kind of disconnect we've so lost. And I again, it's it's just so interesting to try to to try to track when did that happen? Do we know who when funded? Do we know who funded the World's Fairs to make it to have them built? <laughs> yeah, kind of. There's always there's always some big rich, usually you know, um, railroad barons or steel barons or something that are the financiers of it. But what's bizarre, every single fair loses millions of dollars. This is like 1880s money loses massive amounts of money and yet they want to build another one and another one and another one and another one and one thing we know about really rich people they don't like losing money unless they get something something loses money they'll stop i was gonna say is it losing or are they paying for something at that point you know yeah so why do why are they happy losing four or five six million dollars and being and, and actually at the end of it saying oh no we think this was great it was well worth it was well worth the loss and then destroy Something it. <laughs> yeah. And then destroy it, man. That's in, that's insane. I don't know, man. I've I've never really I've never looked into this stuff before at all. Like at like 
at all. So, and it's actually really, really interesting. This is, I'm going to have to look into it more for sure. That's exactly the way I felt because I really had, I also had almost no knowledge of any of this stuff. And it was just once I started popping up in my head, it just was like, how can I not keep studying this? And more so, why didn't I know about this 20 years ago? You do such a beautiful job of, of you know, after listening to the interview you did with you with Inside the Matrix, um, and a lot of people will be like like people like Johnny and Jesse if they look into this, and I think it's important for, for what you have to say about it, is they'll start looking at Tartaria, or, you know, they'll be led that way or into the mud flood. Uh, uh, you know, like people who don't know this type of topic, if they look into it, if they go to those two things, they're going to be kind of straight a, a different way as opposed to how you view that. Yeah, I guess. I mean, really, it's all about asking the, again, it, we need to take it back to where we are now and, and what's going on in our in our world now, because literally we're living history, right? Like, like, like we are actually, we're in the middle of it. And anything that can help us understand more of how we got here um, and how, how, because of course, what we're seeing is a human, a general human mind that has been very hypnotized very very hypnotized and more and more hypnotized by the day and if we can begin to learn more of how that's occurred and what the what the uh, mechanisms are for that to have happened we can maybe learn to unhypnotize ourselves so that we can see clearly moment by moment yeah very interesting also i mean and to break it down even more like kind of how you were talking about frequencies as well that and, and whenever you said that, it kind of made me, we've had a, a guy on our show named Mike Anderson. He's wrote a few books about tribalism. And I didn't know if the two coincided um, with frequency. And then like just here in the United States, there's people who are liberal and people who are conservative. Um, if, if they just operate on different fre frequencies, because Mike Anderson likes to say that you're the population and the studies that he's shown in his book actually suggests that um, populations will be born most likely 50, 50. I don't know if that makes 50, 50 to like conservative, and, like conservative and oh. liberal. You know what I'm saying? And I know like you kind of were talking about like how we are on, you know, half the population might be on a different frequency than the other. Um, yeah. And of course there's, there's, uh, there's many frequencies. It's not just two. So there's, like I say, there's a, there might be like a, a main frequency like AM 950 on the radio dial. That's, that's the main tuning point. So that's, that's as long as you're somehow connected to that you'll say it's a table you'll say it's a chair you'll say it's a you know whatever but nobody not many people at summer uh, 949 948 951 953 and only when you get further away do you start becoming what would be labeled as crazy in one way or another because you're not you're not seeing the standard world everybody else does so you've got these layers of frequency that are close enough that people can communicate and and discuss similar things but they don't really, they don't really think the same, right? They're not really. What's that word? They're not on the same wavelength. That's a word that's used, right? And that's frequency. And uh, interestingly, if you really want to communicate with someone really, really well, if you can, uh, it's hard. To, it's hard to describe it in words. But if you tune, you might say, if you can tune your mind to the frequency level of their mind, you can speak to them with unbelievable clarity. That's you can. You're speaking their language then. I was like, that's all really interesting as well, and it's something to look into. I don't, I don't want to go too much into that right now because we've had yeah, such a like for sure. actual solid like topic with the World's Fair stuff that I don't want to branch out into too much different stuff and no, keep but, it. But but again, this all plays into it because yeah. 
because these buildings are, as I, I would classify, energy machines. Um, they're, they, they generate the, the, the best way to look at it is these cathedrals that I saw in, in Europe is a really good example because they have the domes and the towers. And when I would stand under the tower of one of these uh, cathedrals in, in Nantes, it happened to be, I could feel like literally electrical, uh, an electrical charge coming into my body. Like literally, it was like uh, almost being in an electrical socket. And then I noticed that the energy with the, the, the thing is set up from that point that the energy would circulate in the building and then they have these rose windows right and the rose windows are are almost are made in like cymatic wave patterns so when when you when you when you would use uh, put a cymatic wave on the sand the same image would is is the rose window and these these this this energy must have been projected out of these rose windows into the city and if you could create the right frequency the right harmony and the right cymatic wave um, you could literally keep an entire town comfortable and healthy and you know i made a joke that you wouldn't need hospitals and doctors in the 1400s or 1500s if you had these one of these buildings and it was operating fully you would just go into the building and just stand stay there for a while and then you would just be healed it's it's an amazing crazy stuff thing to potentially think as possible and it's and it's like it's hard for people to even fathom something like that happening and again just going to the basics and finding out the you know, trying to find out what happened back back in, you know, the 1850s and 1900s, I think is a good start because any of those things are a possibility. And if those things did exist and you had these massive civilizations that were based upon what humans should be doing, I mean, that's what we need to strive towards, you know, not just this consumerism and be led by this hierarchy and this, you know, like, I think a lot of people are fed up with that. And the more we question the narrative and find out what it is, I think that's the most beautiful thing ever. Yeah, well, the gift we have for the 1850s and after is we have photographs. So if you if you want to look before 1850s, you're stuck with paintings and, and just journal accounts. But at least we, st we have photographs. Now, we can tell there's lots of questions in the photographs we do get right from the start of the Civil War and all the way through. But at least we have some. And that gives us a, an edge to at least have something tangible um, to to examine and um, for me one of the things that tied in with the world's fairs like I mentioned all of these cities had a major fire every city in North America has had a had a giant fire in the 1800s generally in the late 1800s so the historical narrative goes but when you look at the photographs it looks like Dresden 1944 you know it doesn't look like a fire it's like your first when you look at it it's like well who bombed this city and even when you look at some of the Civil War photos of, of cities like Charleston or the, you know cities in the South that were supposedly bombed out from the war, when you start looking at the supposed technology of the cannons available and the literal damage of the buildings that were like stone marble has been sheared in half and like you know sliced in half and, and whatever, you start wondering, could those cannons, even if you fired them like a hundred times in a row, really create the damage we're seeing? Uh, so again, one again, these all of these things link together of like, what really happened in the 1800s, and and I had never thought that I, I trusted my history pretty much. I trusted that the last two or three hundred years of my history books, be it Napoleon, be it the Civil War of the U.S., be it be it uh, you know whatever, that that was mostly correct. But you know somehow, uh, what's the word? You know the winners write history, so they wrote it to make themselves 
feel good or look good or whatever. I never questioned until now the whole thing might be crap. And, and, and literally all needs to be completely revised. And that, that for me was a pretty heavy thing that came out of studying these fairs was also having to look at all the other parts of this, this time frame and start to see, but that doesn't add up either. And that doesn't make sense. And it's hard to explain this. And, and uh, there's just, and that's only 200 years ago. And we realized we don't really have the answers really for that. One thing it was interesting as well. You said that it, it would, you weren't even allowed to take pictures inside the world's fair or you were charged if you did. And it was at something specific that they wanted you to take the picture of. It was a, uh, that was specifically for the Chicago fair, uh, because it was the first one where there's more open photography, more photography equipment available. You would have to pay a $2 fee in order to take photos at the, at the Chicago exposition. And they had police whose only job was to arrest people who were taking photographs without one of these tickets. So, and of course, $2 was a massive amount of money to pay for just to take photographs. That's another thing to recognize is these fairs, like take the fair in Omaha. So Omaha, Nebraska had a fair in 1898, 2.6 million people are supposed to have gone to it. 2.6 million people at a fair in Omaha in 1898. So that's the first, where, where are all these people coming from, right? To go to a fair. And then the second question is, is the recognition that only rich people could go to these things. Yes, the entrance fee was always low. It was 25 cents or 50 cents. Like, well, anybody could go, in theory, but you can't do anything. Every drink you're going to, just like, like you say, at an Olympic event or at some sort of, you know, everything is jacked up prices, like the prices at the airport, you know. So if you're going to do anything at the fair, from go to buildings to eat to go on a midway ride, it's going to cost a ton of money. So it's also a fair set up only for elites. And yet there's millions of people coming through the gates. Where are they coming from? Right, on horse and buggy from other states, how long it would take them to travel from, let's say, Colorado to Omaha or even California to Omaha. That would be, be a very long travel. Yeah, and where would they stay? Right. Where, where, was, where, were, they, where were they lodging? Where they, all of these questions kind of just blow past the average historian they just they present the the story that's in the book that they read and that's just the way it is and wasn't this wonderful and it was so great for the city and then but you don't stop and say wait a minute how about these logistical questions like i, I have a don't, quick don't you wonder about it <laughs> i have a quick slightly off topic question the uh, just because and then we don't have it pulled up now we did earlier the statue on the cover of your book and that that's mm -hmm. the chicago what 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 is that statue it's the lady holding a spear and it looks like honestly it looks like in the right hand it's like a golden snitch from harry potter that's what i thought too <laughs> <laughs> but i'm just i'm just curious i've been staring at it for so long that i was just curious what that is yeah that was called the golden lady it's 65 foot high it's probably gilded gold uh some have suggested it's solid gold but it was at least gilded so it's an all golded figure it uh yeah sat right in the middle of the great basin in the right hand, it's it's holding a, a staff, or it's holding an orb, actually, with uh, which I think is representing the world or the universe, and it has like a Horus eagle uh, on top of it. And on the other is a is yeah, a giant staff. But if you dig deeper into who and what this is, um, of course, this would be the goddess Columbia, right? The 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 goddess of the Americas, the mm -hmm. original, the the person that the for example the statue of liberty is really meant to be it's meant to represent columbia and columbia would be a, a form of isis so really what you're looking at is 
is the goddess Isis. And so th this exposition in Chicago was called the World's Columbian Exposition, supposedly to mark the, the, uh, the anniversary of Christopher Columbus's voyage to the United States. So again, we're dealing with, um, we're dealing with the creation of history, but is that really the Columbia that's being referenced or is it really this goddess that you see in the picture? Or how about this one about the about the Chicago Fair? I guess you've all, you must have all uh, said the Pledge of Allegiance at some point in your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you know when the Pledge of Allegiance was originated? Nope. Mm -mm. How about I tell you that it, it was officially uh, first said in October 21st, 1892, as the opening for the Chicago World's Fair. It was specifically made. Uh, it was they, they had done it the first time. Uh, with uh, 20 young boys standing in military fashion. It had been written by Francis Bellamy and specifically to bring national attention to the fair and the first national Columbus Day holiday. Hmm. So the Pledge of Allegiance is actually part of the Columbian Exposition manufacturing. Very interesting. Yeah, because you think that that would be something that would be before, I mean, at least before 1890s. Like, we, we've been... A country for a little over a hundred years, they would have thought of something yeah. like that before then. But yeah, nope. Right for this fair. So again, it's it's so many of these little things that you know. Once you hear it, you kind of go, "Well, that's odd." Like you say, "Well, why, why, why for the fair? Why, why wouldn't they've had it before? What, what's the what's the purpose of it?" You know, it's every one of these fairs when you if you choose to dig into them, shows you more and more strange things. And and like I say, I mean, I could I could have kept researching deeply for three or four more years you know but i had to eventually stop and say okay i've got enough for a book so let's let's get that out and begin but you could keep going if you wanted to because they're they're so bizarre very i mean i haven't thought about which for our viewers out there if you've never looked into it it's actually pretty interesting i haven't thought about it in a long time the fact that we basically created that america created a goddess goddess columbia or whatever like i haven't heard of that in years yeah it's um you know, and she, she is. Um, how would you describe Columbia? She's, you know. She she's supposed to represent freedom and the pursuit of liberty, right? She wears the she would always be shown with an American flag around her, like that would be part of her dress, or she's holding it, and uh, and she would wear the the uh, the Phrygian cap, sing, again signifying freedom and wisdom, and um, for a long time, there was no if you were going to talk about united states you could just as easily call it america as columbia mm -hmm. that it was only been in the last like 80 or 90 years that the name columbia as a name for the united states was no longer being used so that's how ingrained it was in world perception of of the landscape of the united states yeah this is all very very bizarre and, and very interesting stuff man i i don't know if you guys have any lasting questions but we're a little bit over an hour and I just a lot of information to soak in, and I think it's important that people, you know, just check it out and listen to it. I loved it, though. It was super interesting. Very interesting. I haven't heard anything like it before. Yeah, if you have another question, so it's fine. If you have one more or something that, that sort of is still on the top tip of your mind or something that, you know, is just sitting there. Yeah, whenever um, I was listening to the Crow podcast, I think he had made just kind of some, just interesting to me, I think, and in, in kind of how you see what's shaping out what may have happened in with these World's Fairs is the fact that, History is being written, like you said, right now. So, like, you know, kids right now that are in high school or, you know, whatever grade it is, they're teaching people 9-11. And I know that that's a conspiracy and people have all their own, own opinions on it. 
but it's from the government's account of what these people are learning. You see with the riots and, and looting that happened this year as well with statues getting taken down and buildings being burnt and these churches, like you said, that are just these ancient churches getting burnt as well. We're, we're seeing the same thing happen in today's age. So to think that there aren't people who are writing history in the way that they want it, I think is, I think you'd be ignorant to do that. Yeah, and then we're definitely in a period of time where, like sort of for fun, put yourself 20 years in the future and sort of indicate what do you think will be written about the time we're living in now in 20 years? How, what would the history textbooks be saying about this period? Um, and it's so, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't take long. And, and the taking down of statues, that's a really challenging thing. And I mean, I get the one side. The one side people are saying, we don't like what we feel the statue um, represents. Okay, but instead of tearing it down then, you could say this is the standard narrative that the statue represents we're going to put up a second little piece of information beside it so you can come and read it and this is a perfect chance it's an education thing you really want them to educate you could say here's the two stories that we want to present about the statue this narrative and we have a different one read them yourself make your own decision yeah but as soon as you take it away the discussion is over the, or the or the chance for discussion of history is over and history is actually one of the greatest subjects that should be taught in schools because not only, I mean, if you can't really know the past, right, that, that's a big part of George Orwell's 1984, that you control the present by controlling what people believe about the past. That if you have, it, the, whoever controls the past is in control of the present because if you don't know what, what really happened, you, you, can't, you can't make really good decisions about what, right now. And if history was taught in a positive way, in a way where students were allowed to critically think and ask questions, like not just be given a bunch of dates and not just be given a bunch of stuff to memorize, but given uh, an experience or something in history and say, you know, here's what we've got, here's what happened, why don't you look into it and come up with your own presentation and your own understanding of what you think this represents or happened or could have happened, or then the student gets an opportunity to learn I can use history, I can study it, I don't have to agree with it, and I can critically think and come up with my own opinion. But a critically thinking society wouldn't allow something like nope. we have now. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we get a lot of that. I mean, if you watch any more of our videos, Howdy, I think you'll see that, that we're a big proponent on education reform or rehauling the whole system, and something needs to change because... Uh, the amount of brainwashed, and I think we're all, uh, Johnny and I, we did a podcast. I mean, we're, we're still brainwashed to a certain point. I think we're a little less brainwashed, but something definitely has to change. There has to be something different for sure. Yeah. And history and, plays and, a big and that's role. It. It's just the, it's just to create a system where the students get a chance to think and, and come up with answers, even if the, if the answers are, or the idea or the presentation is wrong, but they they've learned valuable steps in how to how to research and study and think and question and present what they what they come to believe just that right there changes changes the education system immediately well howdy i want to say thanks for uh actually making this stuff like interesting and the man i'm never i have no interest in history it's always been my least favorite subject paul and i have talked about it before i've just never been one of those people to ever look at anything in the past history wise whatever and this is actually like eye-opening and good stuff so it's very interesting yeah thanks guys I've, I've appreciated coming on and talking to you and um yeah it's been 
it's been definitely interesting and hopefully not only you guys but the people who view and listen to this also might be interested in looking up some stuff and seeing what seeing what might come to them and and again it's always don't necessarily agree with me go use it as a as a starting point and go get answers yourself yeah absolutely speaking of the viewers is there anything you wanted like uh we'll put some links and stuff in the description but you want to let them know where they can find you or what you got going on your books all that jazz Sure, I, but I guess they'll be in the description box below, so I don't say too much. There's a <laughs> YouTube channel for at least as long as that will be running. We have no idea how long that will still be active, right? But yeah. Howdy McCoskey Talks is over there. You can see stuff on a whole lot of different subjects that are right. Um, if you were over on Amazon, you could at least see the, the books uh, really quickly there. And at my website, which has the really stupid name, I don't know why I chose it, but Egyptian-WisdomRevealed-com. I don't know why. I'm what? <laughs> Egyptian-wisdomrevealed-com. chapters and things there that people can, can check into and, and stay in touch. And um, yeah, by all means, I'm, I'm always curious to how others out there, because, you know, any one person cannot get full answers to all this kind of stuff. It's like I, I look at all this like a jigsaw puzzle. And each one of us who are researching or even interested, we're just finding one piece of that jigsaw puzzle. And I'm, I'm one who's well aware. I'm grateful for anyone else bringing other pieces to show me, hey, you know what? Look what I've found. Look what I've looked into. I think this might be helpful. And I mean, that's the only way we're going to piece together um, something close to truth is a whole lot of people doing work and sharing it with each other. Yes, sir. Well, again, thank you for your time. Thanks for joining Talk Junkies. And uh, you have a, a blessed night, man. And uh, Oh, yeah, it's like nighttime for you. Yeah. It's nighttime. And, yep. yeah, thanks again for having me. And uh, I wish you guys really well with what you're doing. And, uh, yeah, I hope it really gets successful for you. You guys, you guys should have, you guys should have a, a much, much more watched channel than you do. And hopefully things will change soon for you. Well, thank, thank you. you. Appreciate, Appreciate it. Yep. We'll see you later. Cheers, Howdy. Cheers. So that all go good for you guys. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, we're we're actually going to end the podcast. Give me one second. So thank you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for watching uh, the podcast with Howdy. Very interesting stuff. If you guys, you know, definitely just let us know in the comments below what you think. Um, definitely like, subscribe, and share this video to all our junkies out there. Stay fly and ring the bell. <laughs>